Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and I am back with a special Jungle Roar podcast, episode 25, talking with the man that covered the Cincinnati Bearcats' historic run to the CFP, the football Bearcats, of course, that is, as well as anybody in the country. That is uh, the one, Justin Williams. You can follow him on Twitter. He does a great job for The Athletic, at Williams underscore Justin. I got it right, right, Justin? That's right. Okay, very good. There's, there's a lot of us Justin Williams yeah, out there. So. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a common name. I don't want to denigrate uh, your uh, family <laughs> like that, but uh, it's a fairly reasonably uh, often occurring name. But anyway, on to the Bearcats. It was uh, an incredible season to be covering that beat, I'm sure, for you. Uh, from the start in training camp, could you tell that Luke Fickle had something special on his hands? Yeah, and honestly, it started last year, right? You know, I guess two years ago now, the 2020 season. That was really supposed to be, you know, Cincinnati's window um, for a few reasons. And, and things weren't the way they were expected to be because of the pandemic and that kind of shortened that schedule and threw everybody off. But in terms of what they were expected to get back, you know, because some of those guys like Kobe Bryant and, and Darian Beavers and Curtis Brooks, they took that extra COVID year of eligibility right. in 2021. They got, you know, so they get a handful of starters back who weren't even supposed to be on the roster. Then they get guys like Desmond Ritter, you know, back and my Jay Sanders back who had opportunities, could have gone the NFL draft and, and gotten taken in the 2021 draft instead came back for their senior year. And a lot of it is really due to that peach bowl lost to Georgia. You know, I don't know that every single person that came back would have left if they'd won that peach bowl, but I, I definitely think the majority of them um, probably would have moved on whether they were seniors or, or could have gone to the draft if they would have, you know, finished that year 10 and 0 and, and beaten Georgia. So in a way it was like, you know, the best blessing for Cincinnati was getting that, that Georgia loss. It brings some guys back who have a bad taste in their mouth. And then definitely it kind of extended Cincinnati's window an extra year in 2021 and you can go back and look, it wasn't just me, you know, but I was writing other people were talking about if things break right because of the Notre Dame game and the Indiana game and non-conference um, and just kind of the way the season had set up that, you know, Cincinnati had an outside chance, even at the beginning of, of being that first group of five college football uh, playoff team. And so there was talk of that, you know, from the very beginning, but then obviously the way it unfolded um, you know, I don't even think anyone could have expected the way it happened. But yeah, definitely from the beginning, there were high expectations for this team. One of the things that impressed me the most uh, about Luke Pickle this year, Justin, is the fact that he managed expectations perfectly throughout the year. Uh, there were so many high expectations in the beginning. Then they, as you mentioned, beat Indiana and Notre Dame in back-to-back -back games, obviously separated by a week. And then they rise way up. Uh, the expectation ladder in the national media have become really uh, are under the intense media scrutiny, which in college football in this country is a big, big deal. And I thought he managed it really well. And it was really tested, Justin, as you know, in that three game stretch where it looked like Desmond Ritter was struggling to get the offense in gear. They were facing teams that were so different in Navy, Tulane and Tulsa. H how do you think he handled that, that, key three game stretch yeah uh, it was it was impressive and you know probably in retrospect that was the the toughest and most impressive stretch of the season for Cincinnati you know that Notre Dame game there was so much focus on that locally here in Cincinnati and certainly within the program like leading up to that game for you know tons of reason there's all the history and connections but that was just a huge game 
and it was recognized as that, I think, kind of by the national media and, and just broader college football audience. Uh, Cincinnati was favored going into that game, which is kind of easy to forget now because it felt like such a huge, momentous win. But after that is really when the attention ratcheted up for Cincinnati from that kind of outside perspective, because then it became real in a lot of ways. Like, right. all right, they have this win over Notre Dame. If they can run the table in, in conference play, then we can actually talk about them. You know, if, if they lose that game to Notre Dame, Cincinnati could go on, win the conference, probably go to the New Year's Six Bowl again this year, have a great season, but it, it wouldn't have been anything close to you know, what it ended up being from an attention standpoint. So once the intention really kind of ratcheted up and, you know, they went through that period where they're playing Navy and Tulane, you know, uh, South Florida games that I get it. It's hard to kind of get up for. And they're certainly kind of feeling the weight of all those expectations on the outside. You know, I just think getting the team through those games with wins and kind of trying to keep them as narrow minded and focused on the task at hand as possible, uh, you know, knowing what we know now about all the pressure and attention they were getting and feeling. I think that was, you know, probably one of the best coaching jobs Luke Fickle's done, you know, in his career. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's the reason, you know, he was the coach of the year and had received many coach of the year uh, honors. I thought the game of the year though, was the, the game that they pulled out against Houston. And in many ways, I thought that was their best win, not just because it came at the end of the year, uh, but the way they responded against a very, very good Houston team at home in the championship game. Yeah, that one stands out. I thought the SMU win a couple of weeks earlier was big too, because that was kind of coming out of that three or four game stretch, I guess maybe coming out of that Tulsa win um, where, you know, they, they tried every which way to make it close at the end. And SMU was, was, I don't think they were ranked necessarily at the time, but they were an eight win team coming in. They were, they were really good. And I think there was some people wondering like, all right, is this when it all kind of falls apart where if Cincinnati plays like they've been playing recently, they're not gonna be able to beat a team as good as SMU. And they went out and just stomped them. Um, and I think that gave the, the program a little bit of boost of confidence. I think it was a little bit easier for them to get up for that game, knowing how good SMU was and then yeah I mean that that carried into the championship game a couple weeks later against Houston especially that that third quarter you know it was a tight game in the first half um, but knowing how much the team knew at the time I don't know I'm sure they were aware you know of the stakes that if they won they were definitely in because of the big 12 championship game but kind of everyone in the stadium certainly realizing all right if they pull this out you know uh, they're going to the playoff no questions asked and then they have that 21 unanswered stretch right there in the third quarter that was pretty impressive and, and honestly a pretty cool game and event to be at have you ever been in an environment uh covering a game that was like the fourth quarter at nippert that day i thought it was one of the more electric college uh environments i've been around simply because there was so much an air of anticipation in that stadium and it was historic and i think everybody there felt it yeah, no, it was wild. And it's funny, like you can go back and trace even Cincinnati people, Luke Fickle included, still talk about that 2019 home game against UCF when UCF was ranked and Cincinnati got an upset. That was a great environment. I mean, the Notre Dame game on the road, the way the Cincinnati crowd kind of took over that stadium was really cool. And so you have all these, you know, benchmarks of like, wow, that was a pretty impressive environment to be in. But yeah, you know, it'll be really hard to top that Nippert stadium, you know, environment. I talked to somebody before the playoff down in Dallas, um, you know, Ben Hofstetter, who's, he works in the athletic department there and he's been around the program for a long time. And he was talking about, you know, even up until very recently, all the work the athletic department has done to like, 
get fans in the stadium, but also have them engaged. And he's like, then at the end of the game, you know, 40,000 people in Nippert stadium are organically putting their cell phone lights on, you know, in the last couple of minutes, it was amazing. It was pretty remarkable. It was a lot of fun to be a part of that. Uh, You and I were both there. I covered the home games. You covered every game for the athletic covering uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Want to ask you, uh, Justin, in that Alabama game that we all watched, was there a moment where you're like, they need to get Desmond Ritter out of the pocket and give a different look to Alabama's defense? Because that's kind of the feeling I had is they were making it too easy for Alabama to get upfield and get to Desmond. And it just didn't look like he had enough time to do anything else, but either get rid of the ball or get hit. Yeah. And you know, I, I wrote about it. I wasn't alone leading up to the game. It felt like this was a chance to let Des run really for the first time all season. You know, they had protected him. They hadn't really needed him to run. And I totally get that. But yeah, I mean, you need some kind of differentiator against a team like Alabama, right? Like you need to find an advantage somewhere. And it felt like that could have been, one of them um and again maybe it's a a thing where you don't want to do it too early and and get him hurt in a big game or something like that but you know in that situation I feel like you gotta basically use any kind of bullet you have in the chamber so I was surprised they didn't do that more they had I think it was a third down I can't remember when exactly in the game but they rolled him out um he threw a pass to Trey Tucker and it was just like you know, it was covered pretty well The, the pass was there but weren't able to make a catch but it was like the play itself, it looked good. And it was like, man, I, I wish they would have tried that a little bit more. I wish, I think early in the second half, they ran him on a designed run. I, I wish they would have done that a little bit more. Um, whether it would have made a difference in the end, I don't know. Hard to Probably say. Probably like, not. I mean, I, I get yeah. that. I get that. But when you're talking about a one-score game against the number one team in the country, and I thought Cincinnati's defense gave them a chance. Yes, Alabama ran right down their throat and and – put up seven quick points on the first drive of the game. I get that. But if you take a look at what UC's defense was able to do in terms of holding them, and then they got the turn, and everybody will remember this about that game. They get the interception at midfield. Mm-hmm. If they even put three points on the board, that's 17-9 to nine. at that point. It's a one-score game going into the fourth quarter against the number one team in the country. If you're Luke Fickle, probably coming into that game, you would have taken that. Oh, yeah. And and that, you know, I think they had five, three and outs. That was one of them and certainly the most painful. It was where, a killer. Yeah. Well, so they got a penalty I, and then a sack. And I think they went backwards like 17 yards on that that drive. And yeah, you know that you're right. And there was a couple moments like in retrospect, the the first, you know, pass of Pierce in the end zone that got batted down where, you know, Pierce was so wide open. They literally you know des literally could have just lofted it up in the air like a like a beach ball and pierce probably still would have caught it for a touchdown uh there you know the muffed punt that they couldn't get their hands on there's these moments where you're like man if they would have that would have bounced their way or they could have made it happen how does that change the game and i think you're right the turnover is a big one because they took care of the ball you know since i didn't turn the ball over in that game they got a pick of bryce young right at midfield that was their chance to really seize it and it you know like so much else on offense it just didn't didn't work that game Speaking with Justin Williams, doing a fantastic job covering the Bearcats athletic program, obviously football and basketball uh, for the athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Williams underscore Justin um, last name first there. Uh, So let's uh, look a little bit ahead to the future and what going into the big 12 eventually will mean. And what I guess, first of all, let's backtrack, Mike. Um, Let's look at what, Luke Fickle sticking around means to this program in the short term. 
What do you think? Yeah. No, it's huge. And it's, it's been huge every off season, you know, dating back to like 2018 at this point. Um, that is, you know, this, this job Cincinnati, what has kind of held it back in the past two decades is it's been a stepping stone job. You know, they had that run of success under D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, but all those guys left. And, you know, Tommy Tuberville was a response to, to those guys leaving and that then pushed the program even further down. And so it felt like they needed a few things to change. One of them, the big 12 that you referenced is coming up. That's huge. And then, but the other one was they needed a, a good coach to stick around and you can suffer losing guys like Marcus Freeman and other assistants. You can suffer through, a, you know, a big year of transition on the roster. Like they're about to have heading into next year, losing Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, sauce Gardner, all those guys. You can do that. If you have, you know, the coach in place and some of the stability that comes with it, you know, they're losing Mike Denbrock offensive coordinator, losing Brian Mason, their special teams court coordinator this season. But if you go kind of down the line of assistance, there's a number of guys who have been there with fickle since he got there, or have been there now, you know, three or four years, Brady Collins, the strength coach being a huge one, you know, anyone that follows college football knows what a big deal these strength coaches are. And so having fickle and that culture in place, that, allows you to have that stability that kind of carries through even if you're losing some of the pieces the overall framework stays in place and I I think for a program like Cincinnati that you know is now certainly on the rise and feels like it's arrived I don't know that it gets to that point if Luke Fickle leaves after three years he certainly elevated the program to a point where you know maybe if someone like Marcus Freeman takes it over they can continue that but it's just such a a coup for Cincinnati really that they've kept someone like Fickle who is coveted everywhere in the sport college nfl uh and what he's been able to do with the program to kind of keep him in place and have that culture and mentality continue to push them forward i mean that that to me is the biggest key to success so uh, as much as other things might change having fickle in places is most important Uh, i couldn't agree with you more justin and the other thing i i will tell you from a historical perspective there was kind of a renaissance of the Bearcats football program 1.0 back in the 80s and early 90s, and they started to get really good. And again, even back then, the criticism was that Cincinnati uh, wasn't going to be able to pay their head coaches of those programs because they didn't have the revenue, which was understandable. It certainly wasn't the TV money. And Nippert Stadium, while it was historic, was a relic right i mean let's be let's be honest there's a reason there was how much ever 200 million dollars spent on renovating nippert stadium and they did a gorgeous job with it but back then in the 80s and 90s uc was only going to go so far then they went through a a bit of a, a a very quiet spell at the turn of the century and then as you mentioned when mark d'antonio got there and then brian kelly it really did take off for a second time. And I think they've been able to do a good job of really prioritizing what that football program can mean, because there's been two sides that you see, right. About what is that university going to be going forward in terms of its athletics and it's very superior academic reputation that it is also developed in parallel with the athletics going on. And stop me if I'm wrong on, on any of this rant, if you disagree, but that's kind of how I, I feel about UC. And I think they finally have allowed the athletic department to catch up with the priorities of the academic institutions at UC. No, I, I think you're right. From the academic standpoint, it's certainly you know been a really strong past couple of decades, and I don't think it's a mistake that you see you know 
there's some symbiotic relationship there, obviously, um, between academics and athletics. But I don't think it's a mistake when you there's going to be a huge positive impact on the university from this playoff run from the Big 12 happening. Um, so, you know, you can go chicken or the egg and say which one impacted the other one more. I don't know, but I don't think it's a mistake that they're happening at the same time. And then, yeah, to, you know, athletics specifically, look, there's kind of two main keys. This is probably the case for everybody, but certainly for Cincinnati, conference affiliation and good coaches. Uh, you know, the D'Antonio, Kelly Jones stretch is, is huge, but they actually knew they were getting to the Big East before they even hired um, Mark D'Antonio. What almost makes it more impressive what Fickle has done is like Fickle in a lot of ways, got them into the big 12. You know, he, right. they had to do this in the AAC for a couple of years before they could get that. Uh, but those two, those two factors are huge and important. And, you know, we saw before what it could do for the football program. And we're definitely seeing again now, uh, you know, what a power conference and a big time head coach can, can accomplish. How do you think Marcus Freeman's going to do at Notre Dame? You will not find many people that have more stock in, in Marcus Freeman than I do. I mean, you know, he's, we, we mentioned before it, it, it certainly is is better for Cincinnati I think that they held on to, to Luke Fickle but if he'd have left a couple years ago and, and Freeman became head coach I think they would have been fine um in the long term I think it's probably actually more likely they hang on to Luke Fickle a little bit longer than they might have to Marcus Freeman um but I, I think he's really talented you know he can recruit he can relate to kids he can kind of coach on the field he can manage kids off the field all the things that you kind of have to do in this modern college football college coaching landscape i feel like he does all of them now being 35 and the head coach of Notre Dame is is a lot so i'm i'm interested to see like how these first couple of years go but yeah I, you know i, I don't I think he was going to be at this type of level, you know, Notre Dame head coach at some point in his career. So the fact that it's this early does not surprise me because I think he's a, a star. I assume you watched the Fiesta Bowl and it was unfortunate that he had such, well, it was fortunate that he had the big lead, but it's just unfortunate that in his first game, it kind of turned out the way it did. And he, you know, blew, his team blew a big lead and, and they wind up losing, but still, I think the people at Notre Dame got it right because if you're going to err on the side of anything, you're going to err on the side of a young head coach who has his career ahead of him and has something to build for early in his career, as opposed to, let's say, and, and not that he would have ever been considered for the job, but an Urban Meyer. I think what Notre, the direction Notre Dame is going in hiring Marcus Freeman is a very progressive one. And I think it, it speaks well to what they're trying to do there. Yeah. And look, I don't have any insight into how much, you know, there was this huge kind of groundwell of support that came out over the course of the week after Brian Kelly left for Marcus Freeman, whether it was from alumni or, you know, we heard a lot from kind of players and people within the organization that they were kind of throwing their weight behind Marcus Freeman. And again, how much that factored into Notre Dame's final decision, I don't know. But as someone who, you know, covered him for a couple of years and got to know him a little bit, that amount of support did not surprise me at all. Like, you know, I think and I think I tweeted this at one point. If anyone's surprised that Notre Dame was willing to hand over the keys to Marcus Freeman, like then that that person doesn't know Marcus Freeman, because if you meet him and you get to know him, you totally get the appeal that he has. And I think a lot of people listening to this right now know how close Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle are. 
how close their families are. And it's, it's a great story and it's, it would be great to see Marcus Freeman. And it was written about obviously leading into the Notre Dame. You, you wrote about it. You mentioned it many times uh, leading into that Notre Dame game, but it'd be nice to see um, Marcus Freeman and maybe Luke fickle uh, face off in a new year's day bowl in 2023 could happen. And that leads me to my final subject with you the roster for 2022. And, and again, you did a terrific job breaking it down on the athletic early questions facing Cincinnati's football program ahead of the 2022 season. For, I'm just going to start at the obvious point. Does the pride of Wyoming high school really have a chance, Evan Prater, of starting a quarterback in 2022? He definitely has a chance, but you know uh, what was funny about kind of Desmond Ritter obviously coming back this, this past season, 2021, that was the first time in Des's career that he, you know, he went into training camp like you're definitely the starter. Even, you know, going back to 2020 when he ended up winning offensive player, you know, conference player of the year, like that they wanted Ben Bryant to compete with him in camp. And, you know, that's a Luke Fickle thing. Like he always, he never wants anyone to feel comfortable in their position. Um, probably this year more than any other, there were guys who were comfortable in, in their starting position because of how old and experienced they were. But, you know, Evan Prater, this will he'll be entering year three in, in the program. Um, and, you know, he was the backup quarterback this year. They didn't have to use him a lot. They probably didn't get to use him as much as, as they would have wanted to. But, you know, so even if it's like, all right, you know, this is your job to lose. He's going to have still going to have to go out and win it in spring ball and in, in fall ball and, and leading into the season. And that's what they want. You know, they want those players who are willing to do that or willing to go out and do that. What's interesting is who is he going to be competing with? because they have Brady Lichtenberg was a, a true freshman this year. They have Luther Richardson coming in the 2022 class. He won't be there till summer. He's a, you know, going to be a true freshman. They're really excited about, but I expect that they'll with all this quarterback, you know, carousel going on in the, uh, in the transfer portal. Um, I'm definitely expecting Cincinnati to get a veteran out of there and, and kind of bring him into the mix to compete. I think, uh, let's see if I can, um, bring this up really quick uh, a couple of the names uh that you uh bring up well, help me out here uh who, who are a couple of the names that uh the bearcats could uh pluck from the transfer portal that that stick out to you i mean in terms of names i don't know but it's, it's you know every day there's somebody new going in like they're i don't expect cincinnati to be in the, the caleb williams sweepstakes you know by any means but that's just an example of like right. it feels like every day we have a new guy who was either a starting quarterback or a highly touted recruit going into the transfer portal. So, and I think it's going to be the case at a number of positions. Like, look, they're probably going to get somebody at running back now too, because Jerome Ford declared, and that was something they were prepared for before the season started. I remember, you know, talking to somebody who said, Hey, if Jerome has a great season and he declares for the NFL, we have to be ready for that. Well, he had a great season and he declared for the NFL. He so there's a also, couple. I'm just going to jump in here. Uh, the thing about Jerome Ford that that really impressed me, especially in the Houston game, and I believe it was the UCF, I can't remember the other game, where he had explosive runs, his ability, his breakaway speed really was eye-opening to me. And I think it probably was to a lot of NFL scouts who were on hand to watch him in person that when he hit the open space, open field, he was off. And that's what you look for at the next level, right? 
Yeah, and probably, you know, honestly, most memorably is the Georgia game last year. He broke that big touchdown uh, run to yes. start the second half. And, you know, if, if anyone has questions about SEC speed and, you know, how it looks in the AAC, well, he did it against Georgia in the, in the Peach Bowl last year. But, no, you're, you're totally right. He has, like, that vision um, and kind of tough yards combination with, with the speed and the home run ability and, you know, running backs aren't valued the way they used to be in the NFL, obviously, but like he has everything that teams are going to be looking for. No, but, but you know, it is uh, valued speed and the ability to catch the football in a lot of these offenses, you know, one right here in, in Cincinnati with, with the Bengals and the way they use a uh, Chris Evans, haven't really used him a lot this year for a number of different reasons, but um, you take a look at, Obviously, Kansas City has used it. Uh, there are a number of other teams who have used their running backs in the passing game, and I could see Jerome Ford uh, doing that at the next level. I, I totally agree, and you know it's going to be tough for them. Back to the transfer portal, it's going to be tough for them to kind of match the home run they hit pulling him out of there. Um, but he's an example of as their profile has raised. You know, you can really get some talented players to come out of the portal, and you know I don't think they're banking on it, but I think they've definitely. Cincinnati's left themselves some wiggle room to really improve this roster heading into next year by, by getting some guys out of the portal. So how do they replace uh, the best secondary, the best corner tandem in foot, college football? How do they go about doing that on the roster transfer portal combination? Yeah, I think it'll be a combination. I, I do suspect they'll try and look for, you know, at least one kind of veteran guy to bring in at cornerback. What's interesting though, is, you know, that might be one of the most stocked positions from like a talent recruiting standpoint on the roster. They didn't think they were going to have Kobe Bryant this year. They knew they were going to lose sauce after three years. So they've been recruiting, you know, Sammy Anderson is a four star from up in the Dayton area. Who's going to be entering year three next year, who has not been able to step on the field because of how good they've been. Uh, they get another four star, this kid, JQ Hardaway out of Alabama, who's going to join the roster this season. Um, they have just kind of this like, you know, treasure trove of really, you know, highly valued recruits, three and four star guys who just have not been able to get on the field yet because of who's in front of them. Now you're asking a lot, throwing them on and expecting them to replace, you know, sauce and, and Kobe. Um, but sauce did as a freshman, you know, that no one expected a few years ago. And I think that they, they have not needed to lean on their recruiting classes much the past couple of years because of how many veteran upperclassmen they have. But, you know, I, I think, kind of of the go hope and goal as as you improve your recruiting classes as your profile raises is like all right let's get some guys who can help us right away pretty soon so you should get arquan bush back who will probably move outside you know he he was kind of an outside corner they stuck in the slot just because of how good they were on the outside um and, and i think he'll be an important leader for that unit but yeah i'm interested to see what some of these young guys are able to do because we just haven't had the opportunity to to get to see it yet i believe you mentioned wilson huber and mark um Wilson Huber and Javon Hicks, right? As potential players who, who could come back. Is there a possibility either one or both return? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I, you know, neither has decided yet, but you know, if you're kind of looking at neither of them really have NFL draft, you know, expectations or, you know, projections and, you know, guys in their shoes, they might view it as a chance. All right. Either I can come back and, have another year of college football and enjoy right. that experience, or maybe even have a really good season and help, you know, uh, my chances of getting drafted next year. You know, there's a lot that goes into that decision. If they, if they can or want to do another year of school. And, and I totally get that. But 
at least on the surface, they seem like two prime candidates to use that added year of eligibility. And that would give, you know, I think two immediate starters on defense um, and especially at safety where they don't have a ton of depth right now, getting Hicks back uh, in that position would be huge for them next year. Alec Pierce. As a no, no chance he's coming back. None, zero, nada, <laughs> zero chance. He he will be uh he will be getting drafted probably pretty high in the NFL draft, and and that's what he's working on right now. So th- and that's fair enough. But uh, he's a terrific receiver. We we saw his ball skills. He's got great speed, and you know he was Desmond Ritter's uh, number one target down the field. He he's just an exceptional player. Um, I guess the reason I bring his name up is because I assume, and maybe this is a weak assumption on my part, that the first two to three players that are taken in the NFL draft, Bearcats, are on the defensive side of the ball. Sauce Gardner, Jay Sanders, yes. And where do you put Darian Beavers? Yeah, honestly, I, in terms of, you know, Sauce is almost definitely going to be the first guy drafted. Yeah, I think that's consensus, consensus yes. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dez, when this is all said and done, ends up being the second guy just because of the way we see quarterbacks move up the board this time of year. Um, but, yeah, in terms of where the other guys go, it's interesting. I, I've seen some people talk that, you know, look, Alec Pierce is going to test ridiculously at the NFL combine, you know, intellectually four, four. and physically. I don't know if it'll be sub 4-4, four, four, but he's going to run a 4-4, four, four, you know, under a four, four, five, and he's going to jump 42 inches and he's going to broad jump some crazy number. And then he's going to sit down with these teams and just blow them away with kind of how smart he is. And so I've seen some people project that he could be like a second round draft pick, you know, that would be great, but it certainly seems like he's going to go, you know, third or fourth, if he doesn't go that high and Beavers is another one, you know, man, when you get teams like just looking at him up close and you know, you've been there, you've on the field, you've seen him up close. He, he is an NFL linebacker the That's, way he's built. I, that he impresses me just watching him with the naked eye. And, you know, I am uh, a lay person when it comes to football, and I'm not going to pretend to be an NFL scout by any means. But, but the speed and, as they say, the get off that he has is he's incredibly explosive. And I just like the way, and he plays the middle of the field too. Yeah. He, you know, Pierce, Beavers, Ford, and Brian Cook, the safety. Those are four guys that I I think will rise as this you know pre draft process goes. You know just because of how they'll test, because of how they'll interview, um, and, and I'm kind of interested to see how the conversation changes on, on those guys as this time goes along. Because you know, I think each of them has a chance to really improve their stock, even now that the season is over, uh, based on how the combine and pro day and stuff like that goes. My final question for you, Justin Will, uh, Williams of the athletic covering uh, Cincinnati Bearcats athletics is how much fun was it covering Desmond Ritter and how unique a college athlete is he? No, it, it was great. Um, and I think I, I put this out after the, I think it was after the Houston game, they did like an on-field interview with him and to have someone like that as the, kind of the face of your athletic department, your football team, your university, like that is what coaches, athletic directors, presidents of universities dream of because he's a smart kid. He's well-spoken. His interview was something about like how this moment is great for the university and the community and how he would never, you know, he wouldn't want to be nowhere other than this place. 
and it's just like you know man and he's always been like that you know he was a well-spoken smart kid as a redshirt freshman but to see him you know emerge and evolve and grow into this kind of role that he had with the team and with the program it was really remarkable you know I can still remember his redshirt freshman year like him running around looking completely lost in training camp as a quarterback and still hearing coaches like oh no he's he's going to be our guy like he has that it factor he has that leadership factor and you know you mentioned not being a, a football expert I'm sitting here thinking like if this kid plays for them he's going to get destroyed and be terrible and you know shows what I know 44 wins later or whatever he has like he just kept getting better and that's really a credit to him is that you know every game he played every step of the way he kept improving as a player and to see where he ended up it's great it's rewarding for him in the university um, and it's really just a credit to all the the amount of work and, and effort he put into it only Colt McCoy and another quarterback and a name escapes me right now Kellen Kellen Moore more thank for- you very much have more Boise state have more wins than Desmond Ritter's 44 over five over his time at the University of Cincinnati it's been a treat talking with you Justin I really appreciate your time um, hopefully uh, you get to watch the Cincinnati Bearcats kind of turn things around after that uh, debacle against Tulane yeah I'm, uh, they're they're playing SMU tonight 9:30 tip-off so I'm gonna gonna grab a coffee on the way there and, and hope to to make it till, till the final buzzer. All right. Well, I'm sure you will you, being the <laughs> pro that you are follow him on Twitter at Williams underscore Justin. He does has done a great job all season long covering the uh, CFP semifinalists and they finished ranked fourth in the country, the Cincinnati Bearcats. He does a great job for the athletic for Justin Williams. I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for listening to the jungle roar podcast.